0: Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky, over-the-counter, or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? This is Dr. Ronald Hopp with a better natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex. Future Farm's liquid turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief. Sourced and manufactured in the United States, this product contains 1,600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties. This plant-based curcumin is used to possibly reduce inflammation, block proteins that trigger swelling, and intercept inflammatory pathways, significantly decreasing inflammatory responses. For more information and order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Don't live with pain when there's an all-natural, science-based remedy that works. myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and it's our weekly Q&A with Layla, wherein we answer your questions. Questions come to us via radio program at AOL.com, and uh, I'm excited to see the weather finally taking a little bit of a turn for the better. It's
1: yeah. uh, looks like we've got
0: warmer days ahead. Uh, uh-huh. We may be out of the uh, spring uh, deep freeze.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I uh, can
1: tell when I sneeze once a day.
0: Yeah. I'm getting ready to do some open water swimming. I just <gasps> checked the, uh, the water temperatures. Really? Approaching, uh, 50 and change about 50. In your wetsuit? In my wetsuit. Yeah, you know, yeah. Absolutely. It's still too cold. Uh, Otherwise. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's gonna be, uh, you know, the inauguration of the outdoor swimming season. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna write a review of a couple of books that I, uh, read on, uh, swimming. Mm. Uh, one is called, uh, Why We Swim. Uh, and another one is called, uh. Because we used to be amphibian, a- amphibians. Yeah. The, well, we used to, you know, we came out of the water. Yeah. And so maybe there's some primal memory of that. But actually humans sort of lost the ability to, uh, to swim during, uh, the also, Middle Ages.
1: It's also the amniotic fluid.
0: Oh, yeah, it's swimming, right? Yeah. Swimming, yeah. It's very primal. Yeah. I find it very relaxing. I try to swim, you know, a couple of times a week. And yeah. the outdoor swimming uh, is supposedly really good for blood pressure. It's really good for yeah. uh, pain syndromes, the cold water. Yeah. Uh, so n- I steal myself to get in. stressing your joints or anything. Yeah. yeah. Some people wait till uh, you know, uh, the 4th of July you know, before they get into the water. It's like, oh, it's a little too chilly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I try to brave the cold water. Um, this week, you know, before we get into questions, I, you know, I have to say that uh, uh, on the theory of the origins of COVID nineteen, ah. uh initially, you know, there was a lot of speculation that uh, it came out of Wuhan, and the uh, Wuhan uh, laboratories are, are there. Yeah, and I said, what a coincidence! You know, it's like interesting that we've got, uh, you know, probably a couple of dozen Chinese cities with enormous populations of ten million plus. And yet, why is it that this emerged in Wuhan, within mm. yards of, you know, supposedly the wet market, uh, Clo- you know, which is like a half a mile away from the Wuhan Institute of Technology, yeah, where they do these uh, experiments? And uh, I said, well, you know, that's circumstantial evidence, but you know, we have plenty of evidence of viruses, terrible viruses, developing in the wild, yeah, like HIV. Unless you're a conspiracy theorist and you think it was cooked up by the CIA or something like that, I think that's a tin horn a tin hat theory. Mm. you know, that people think it was designed to eradicate the gays or the minorities, you know some bioengineered oh, that just sounds uh, evil. Genocidal weapon, you know mm. so you know, so I thought, well, you know, it, it could have been uh, escape from the lab, but it's also equally plausible, developed in nature. That is until I read an article uh, this week by Nicholas Wade. And Nicholas Wade, I remember the name very uh, well because Nicholas Wade wrote a whole lot of the science columns in the New York Times. He was mm-hmm. a prestigious science writer mm-hmm. and uh, not a guy who's uh, carrying uh, you know, uh, a chip on his shoulder uh, to attack the administration or to attack Fauci or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in very, very scientific terms, and I'll send you the article if you Please haven't already do. seen it. Yeah, um, You know, I have to say that from my limited understanding of molecular biology and genetics, what he says makes an awful lot of sense because uh, there was something called gain of function research, mm-hmm. abbreviated GOF. Yes. And gain of function ostensibly is designed to help us see what might happen. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, let's you know play around with viruses and see what what's the worst case scenario. So at least we can be prepared, and that's the scientific rationale for that. Mm. But it is tinkering. In a very dangerous way. So what they did yeah. was uh, they banned gain-of-function research in the United States. Yes. With a loophole. Yes. The loophole was, unless specifically authorized by the head officials of the National Institutes of Health, ah. who happened to be... Francis Collins, who's head of the NIH, mm-hmm. and Anthony Fauci, who's, that's his bailiwick, the National Institute of Allergy and Immune yes. Diseases. Yes. He's an infectious disease guy. Yeah. So he had to know that research was being offshored to the Wuhan Institute of Technology. And uh, Nicholas Wade really documents how uh, potentially shoddy the precautions were there. Uh, this is a level four pathogen which really is very dangerous. Yeah. And they were using level two and three precautions, mm. which are not really, a lot of people feel weren't adequate to contain a breakout. Mm-hmm. Also, they investigated the wet market theory, and even the Chinese admitted that they, were, they couldn't find it in any of these animals. Yeah. So they say, well, you know, they, it, maybe it came from the bat caves, but the bat caves are 1500 miles distant. Da, da,
1: da, and you da, would da, da, see, da, da, da,
0: da. Yep. you would see like a gradual evolution of like a local outbreak in the yes. mountains somewhere where the caves are. No, none of that. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sprang de novo from the Wuhan region affecting lab personnel. Now we can investigate that. The Chinese won't let us. No, Records are not accessible. Right. You can't talk to the people.
1: Right. Uh, WHO even said we tried, but we didn't get an answer, and it's not our job to push them further. So that's unfortunate. The other thing is
0: if you examine the structure of the virus, and this is like way beyond my pay grade, but Nicholas Wade is an experienced science writer, and he writes about a couple of features. Mm -hmm. Is the coding in the virus, there's DNA as a code. And it's like writing, you know, computer code. Mm-hmm. The coding is the kind of coding that laboratories use to synthesize amino acids and not usually found in nature. In addition, uh, there's something called a furin cleavage site, which is known in the virology literature as something which amps up the pathogenicity of a virus. Huh. And that this virus arrived on the scene with a furin cleavage site that appears to be man-made. Wow. Now, uh, if you told me this a year ago when this came out, I'd say that's like crazy talk, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it's possible, but it doesn't make any sense. I have to say that I am now firmly of the belief that this was a lab accident, and, you know, which lays a lot of responsibility at the doorstep of the Chinese. Yes. But it does implicate... Uh, the highest echelons of the NIH who knew about this, yep, and they. So you may say, well, why aren't a lot of virologists pointing this out? They are afraid to speak out about this, mm-hmm. even if they believe it's the case, because they're subject to grant approval. Yes, they may get their lifeline pulled. Mm-hmm. They know it's not a PC thing to say. Another thing about it is, is there's a political dimension of this. Is Trump was always talking about the Wuhan virus and the China virus, the China, virus, and a lot of people were whatever he says, we're going to repudiate. Of course. So, you know...
1: If he says everybody get a vaccine, nobody's going, going to, get a, to get a vaccine.
0: You know, it's like they weren't going to get the vaccine if Trump said to get it. But now yeah. it's like, okay. But look, he... he w- Say what you want about him, is that sometimes th- he could have been right about some things. Sure. You know? And so let's Absolutely. not put a political spin on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's look at it objectively. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, I think it's... Really, really important to conduct uh, congressional hearings and investigations. It'll probably come to nothing. Yes. Because the Chinese have completely clammed up about this. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just dismaying to see that in this day and age, this, this thing that's killed millions of people, uh, you know, over a half a million people in the United States. Does
1: Nicholas Wade also mention in the article, and I can't wait to read it now, uh, about uh, our tax dollars going to fund that research? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was via NIH and yeah, so forth. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's your tax dollars at work. Yeah, we paid you know. for this, right? Right.
1: So, I mean, yeah. so
0: at the very least, the Chinese, I think, were were careless in disclosure about what was going on. Yes. And you know, if it emerged in China spontaneously, which is, I mean, I mean, I guess it's still a possibility. But what Wade says is, uh, I guess nobody will really know, and it's still possible that it evolved naturally. But all the evidence points to a man-made origin of And
1: course. this was in the New York Times.
0: Well, this is the New York, no, it wasn't in the New York Times. Oh, Because wasn't. he's no longer in the New York Times. Right. I don't think it could be in the New York Times. No, not it's, today. It, it's on, <laughs> it's on medium. Okay. On medium medium is, is sort of an, a less refereed kind mm-hmm. of forum mm-hmm. and less censored. Hence. Good.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, look, we're talking about censorship. Is it? And you know, not every virologist doesn't want to come out and talk about this. There are many doctors and other scientists that no, and, and do want to speak about it, maybe do speak about it, right. but they're being they're so, so they're the, not being shown. The, the other thing is, there's a guy uh, who is you know no, the, nobody's the, asking them the about
0: foremost, it. Foremost, uh, you know, debunker of that theory yeah. from the beginning. He said that's ridiculous. There's no way. There's no way. No way. But he has a conflict of interest because he is one of the world's leading gain of function researchers. Oh well, of course. And he does if yeah. this comes out. Gain of function research is done for. Yeah. He, they will, they'll say, this is a Frankenstein thing. Right. Do right. not do this. Mm-hmm. Do not tinker with these viruses. It'll be game over. Yeah. So he, obviously, uh, his, uh, his name is, is Dudna or something like that. Um, you know, uh, I forget his name, but he is a guy who from the outset was denouncing these theories as just a figment of your imagination, conspiracy theories. But he is not the authoritative voice on that, because he is not ex parte as a dispassionate observer.
1: Right, 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 right,
0: right, right, right. So, it's all in that article. I recommend it highly. I've posted it. Um, Terrific. It wasn't taken down on Facebook. It wasn't. I mean, it's credible enough that it needs to be Mm -hmm. uh, aired out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to trigger some congressional investigations, at the very least.
1: Hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully that won't be a long ways away. Quashed. Or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Right. Um, Let's take some questions. That's encouraging. Encouraging that at least some. Yeah. We're we're getting sunlight is the best disinfectant. We need full disclosure. The Chinese aren't helping, but we need to drill
1: down. Right. Right, 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 right. Okay. Now, <laughs> on that note, on more how, how do we follow things. that? How do we even follow that? <laughs> Let, let's have a question
0: on excess mucus.
1: <laughs> let's have exactly. Speaking of, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Wait. This is from Karen. Uh, Dear Dr. Hoffman and Layla, thanks for all the great shows. I listen every night when I cook dinner. That's a great time to listen. I listen to a lot of things, especially a lot of talk radio making dinner. I have IBS with constipation, IBS-C and also show some methane production on a SIBO test. That's usually the
0: pattern on a SIBO test is, yeah. you know, you get hydrogen production with the diarrhea form, and you get more methane production.
1: Yeah. My stomach has been very bloated for years. A few days ago, I started a two-week course of zyfaxin. I've read that the protocol for methane predominant should also include Flagyl. Possibly. I, okay, possibly. I asked to have that added But my doctor said he doesn't like to administer due to nausea and a metal taste in my mouth and that xyfaxin alone is appropriate for all the SIBO types. No, it isn't. Ah. He's not an expert on SIBO. Okay. He also said that if I still have issues after two weeks of xyfaxin, he would put me on Augmentin. Is that correct? No, no. Oh, Karen, I'm glad you sent us this question.
0: I'm not not happy with that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say, I, I need to talk to that gastroenterologist and see where he gets his information, because, I mean, if, if, unless he knows something that I know, that's not a good way to go. Um, I have to tell you that, um, uh, I rarely take antibiotics. I think the last time I took it was 25 years ago, but I have very, very bad, cr- uh, very bad sinusitis. Yeah. Uh, and it was Thanksgiving, and I wanted to ex- expedite that before I went to, uh, on a trip. Mm. And I took some augment. And augmentin. I mean, I guess it would work for IBS-C because it gave me the worst case of diarrhea. Within, mm. I took about three pills, mm-hmm. and I said I'd rather have the sinusitis than this. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh my. Um, oh my. So, you know, you, yeah. you know, do you want uh, severe diarrhea? It, it's not. It's not a great drug.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, for methane predominant SIBO, uh, you might try. Uh, this, which is, I happen to have a sample on my desk here. Oh, yes. A trantil, which a is. A trantil, yeah. yeah. Uh, it has, uh, something called, uh, quebracho, which is, uh, an herb that is helpful for IBS and actually may help methane predominant. Is that
1: something on the cartel list for?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta go to Sinaloa to get it. You know. It's like, there's a, it, it, if you wait at the tunnel on the on the border, you know uh, you'll get some quebracho. Uh, quebracho, um, it, yeah. So, um, yeah. It, but it, it's. I, I think you're right. It's a Latin American, mm-hmm. I think Peruvian thing. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. um, but for methane predominant SIBO, uh-huh. uh, generally, uh, I guess you know flagell could be used, but um, what is, uh, you know, what's what's the best for methane predominant SIBO? Um, it's um, it's tricky. It's tricky to uh, treat. Uh, oregano is helpful. Berberine is sometimes helpful. Uh, so, along is
1: the li- lines of candibactin? Candibactin uh, uh, AR. AR. Yeah.
0: yeah. Or yeah, BR. BR is the berberine. AR, you know, has the oregano. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Allicin is helpful for it, oh. which is a, the potent extract of In garlic. Garlic.
1: alamax. Yeah. Alamax is the supplement.
0: Yeah. Right. is mentioned as, as a treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it, we also sometimes use uh, lactulose for patients with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: okay. Wow. But, right.
0: but uh, it can be tricky, right? Yeah, the um, Zyfaxan,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh zifaximin, is but you're both names. Is not that helpful for the methane predominant. It's e- it's easier if you have the diarrhea predominant.
1: I see. Right, right. So the methane predominant. Also, trying to follow a FODMAPs diet in severe cases.
0: Neomycin is the antibiotic. Is oh,
1: neomycin. Neomycin okay.
0: and rifaximin. It's not, it's not uh, flagyl.
1: It's really okay. not flagyl. Okay. I think
0: you guys got mixed up. He's got it mixed up with the uh, diarrhea predominant.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, isn't that more common though? The diarrhea predominant yeah, yeah. Well, than the constipation it, predominant? It's hard to say. I
0: mean, so many people, you look at the laxative counter in the drugstores, it's like, you know, it's like 40 feet long you know you've got so many well, different that's things. true so many Americans suffer from uh, so maybe eating. it's
1: just not run-of-the-mill constipation but an IBS type thing where it's constipation predominant I yeah. never thought of it that way yeah so many
0: reasons for constipation it could be sort of you know musculature problems you know yeah. lazy bowel
1: syndrome kind not, of. not eating white rice every day followed with a lot of cheese and yeah. raw nuts and too many bananas banana. yeah <laughs> right the, the bro- and stuff lots of black diet. tea lots and lots and lots of black tea right
0: Okay. It's like you're eating a brat diet, of course. You're right.
1: Constipated.
0: Even okay. chamomile is constipating.
1: Because it slows everything down. Yeah. It slows everything down, yeah.
0: It's, Thank it's, you, so it's, Karen. It's, it's, it's neomycin. It's neomycin. Yeah.
1: So that's the one to take if the xyfaxin doesn't work. It, it, you take them in combination so. sometimes. In combination. Yeah. Maybe the xyfaxin is more for the right. diarrhea right. predominant. But then, you, you say, know, just the,
0: because you have, you know, that may not be the cause of your constipation. It may not be a It could be a functional,
1: functional. motility
0: right. issue. Mm-hmm.
1: So, it's worth it to get a motility uh study
0: yeah. or something. The future for severe constipation, I think, is they're going to have intestinal pacemakers. You know, like they have heart pacemakers.
1: That's that. amazing yeah. to me. But That's the, just wild. Things that
0: stimulate the uh, peristalsis.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We've got a couple of vaccine questions, Dr. Hoffman. No. He, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh One from, let's see here. From one from Maddie and one from Judy. Mm-hmm. Let me read Maddie's first. I'm on the fence, Dr. Hoffman, of whether to get the COVID vaccine. I'm a 73-year-old female in good health, except for some high blood pressure. I'm on a non-afib arrhythmia. I have a non-afib arrhythmia, and I'm taking metoprolol. I'm very reluctant to get the They're vaccine. Yeah, mm. And I'm, you know...
0: Well, you know, I have to say, I mean, in this age group and with those risk factors, uh, the vaccine may make sense. Yeah. Uh, unless you're a hermit. I mean, if you're really totally a hermit, then.
1: She's out in society, and okay. that's why, that's part of the reason for okay. asking her well, question. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so I, you know, I don't think the vaccine is, is dangerous or inappropriate. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I think we still have some concerns about the vaccines. Yeah. But by and large, they're amazingly successful, so much more successful than the flu vaccine. Yes. And uh, the side effects, I mean, although there have been some really terrifying cases with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and uh, with all the vaccines, there have been yeah. some things. Right. Uh, and maybe it's being suppressed and not reported enough, but I don't see people dropping like flies.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that alludes to Judy's question. I just took the Johnson & Johnson vaccine last week, okay. but I just heard the news about the blood clots, and I'm concerned. I'm yeah. 62 currently taking that's, warfarin that's the
0: second question right
1: yeah okay it's the second question i'm 62 currently taking warfarin Four.
0: and i'm atrial fibrillation don't know okay
1: and i'm wondering if it would be wise to check on my INR oh, no. every couple of days in no, the next few weeks no no it, the, G- the j j vaccine
0: it's likely that this problem will emerge of uh uh vaccine induced thrombocytopenia Mm. uh, that's where your platelets drop, but simultaneously uh you have blood clots. Mm. So it's like the worst of both worlds. You have oh thin blood and too thick blood simultaneously. It's disastrous, and the blood clots can occur in your cavernous sinus of the brain. uh this uh usually emerges in younger individuals. you know, mm-hmm. the typical patient is but you know the thirties or forties. It's about and primarily women. It, it, they say it's one in a hundred thousand, which makes me think it's more like one in twenty-five thousand, which is still very rare. Yeah, it's hard to predict because there's no blood test that tells you you're prone to it. Um, but mm-hmm. it usually occurs relatively quickly, and if you're on a blood thinner, I, none of the patients who had this were on blood thinners. Now, I'm not saying that being you know, on blood thinner is is 100% protective. Yeah but uh, it probably doesn't have that much to do with it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um because mm-hmm. using a blood thinner is counterproductive in that condition because you're already too much bleeding you're clotting and bleeding at the same time so especially with heparin there are people who have antibodies against heparin in this yes. case and heparin is a disaster so they actually use uh immunoglobulin iv mm-hmm. ig uh, iv immunoglobulin yeah. treatments for that condition um so you know okay. i would say that it's rare. I wouldn't worry about it. I don't think it's, it's not going to be helpful to get an INR. The INR is not going to tell you much. It's not going to do. It's not going to tell much. There's no protocol for monitoring uh, people after J&J, except if they have problems, they should get checked.
1: Right. Well, you know, we take these these questions in order of when we get them. And we're we're kind of three weeks behind, and at this point, Judy should be out of the woods. Yes, hopefully, so that would be good. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> since this came to us uh, middle of April. Well, yo, So do so. we
0: ask? Do we adequately address the first question? The first question is: yeah. which vaccine did that? I mean, is what is it about? It it's sort of like: should I take the vaccine? And the answer is: uh, it's a risk benefit equation, and it's a personal choice. If you feel that there may be some long term consequences of taking the vaccine that have not yet been uh, divulge. Yeah. I mean, it's not completely unreasonable to think that, but as more and more people get the vaccine and we've seeing less and less problems, we can't really, uh, point to the vaccine as, um, you know, in some way, some disastrous mm-hmm. problems.
1: We have a very thoughtful question about the vaccine. This comes from, from Kathy. Um, I understand that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are mRNA. Meaning no actual full virus, just proteins from the COVID virus. So there's no chance for infection as there is no full flu, uh, there is no full virus present. But since it's just proteins, the immune response may not be that effective. I also understand that the J&J is a viral vector vaccine using proteins of a partial strand of the COVID virus that has been spliced into the RNA strand. Of the replacement host carrier virus of some type, so it causes the actual infection, designed to cause a more complete immune it, 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 response. This
0: is not completely correct because I think it's, it's not what it. What, She's wondering if the J and J therefore is more effective. No, not necessarily. In fact, uh, according to studies, it's a little less effective, but very effective. Very effective at preventing death and events and severe disease. Wow. Uh, so th- the way it works is they've uh, come up with the uh coding for the spike protein of the virus. Mm-hmm. And it's a question of how to administer it. And uh, they can administer it as uh, DNA, or they can administer it as RNA. And the Pfizer and Moderna are RNA encapsulated in a liposome, literally, like mm-hmm. a liposomal, you know, like liposomal vitamins. It's yeah. Like, you know, they encapsulated it, so it gets into the cell. Yeah and the other one is i'll use a virus to to uh gain entrance to the cell to inject some dna into the cell so that the uh, immune system starts to react against the viral uh, protein so it's it's actually you can't say that the johnson and johnson or the astrazeneca uh which make use of, of adenoviruses as a kind of a um, uh i, I call it like a lunar module, you know, to introduce, yes. you know, it's to like take it to the surface of the cell yeah. and inj- and have it land on the cell and mm-hmm. inject it into the cell. That's the vehicle. Um, the information is similar because it's all, it restricts to the spike protein. So some people argue that if you have the virus, you have more complete immunity because you have immunity to not just the spike protein, but all parts of the virus, uh-huh.
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, the viral capsule and so yeah. on. Uh, whereas with the, the vaccines, you only get the spike protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, that remains to be seen. That remains to be yeah. seen. Uh, you know, so hypothetically, a natural case, a mild case of COVID should confer more protection uh, than the vaccine.
1: <clears throat> well, that, that's the other part of our question. Also, how does an actual exposure and immune response to the actual COVID infection not result in permanent immunity? Shouldn't the immune system now recognize the signature of the virus it, and prevent reinfection it, it, for
0: life? It mostly should, but some people, and I think there have been some outliers, uh, where it is claimed that people can recatch covid Right. Now, why did they re catch COVID did they catch a variant that their immune system didn't is recognize? Is it due to
1: mutations? Or that's what,
0: yeah. Was the testing faulty? Because they test you with a nasal swab, and the nasal swab may mean that you have some particles in your nasal passages. It doesn't really test for infection.
1: Right. It tests for genetic presence, material. Presence of like presence of and infection. they
0: amplify the genetic material so much that you may have, you know, inha- inhaled a few <laughs> like particles that are so the test is so sensitive that it picks it up. So I don't know. Uh some of these people who have these positive PCR tests feel a little sick, Some of them it's unbeknownst to them. are they reinfected? Yeah. But there are people who apparently, I may have gotten reinfected, or maybe they just have residual carriage of, of the uh, of the RNA mm-hmm. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It, This is a bit of a gray area and it's a controversial area, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it is quite plausible that people who've had COVID, have a lifetime protection against it. I mean, it's the case with many viruses and, and, uh, many, you know, conditions. Yeah. That once you've had it, like, if you've had, uh, um, the, uh, I mean, a good example would be, you know, probably mumps. I mean, if you've had mumps, you know, it's I like. I
1: remember that. having mumps. That was miserable. Yeah. I think I was eight or nine. Well, now
0: they vaccinated for it, so nobody gets it. But, uh, you know, is the natural immunity more long lasting? Yeah. With measles, it may wane. They may be waning. Or, you know, people get older and they have immunosenescence and maybe they become a little bit more likely to, to have a recurrence.
1: Yeah. This is
0: a very uh ill-defined area mm-hmm. still and controversial.
1: Kathy, thank you for that very, very thoughtful question.
0: Good question. Let's pause for a few seconds because uh we're going to split our podcast into two parts. In part two, give us a preview of what we're going to talk about.
1: Oh. I'm a 39-year-old African-American female. I have a decline in my white blood cell count. And so does my mother. Mm -hmm. And we'll start there.
0: Good. All right. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly Q&A with Layla. Radio program at AOL.com is the destination for questions. Please send us questions. We appreciate your input to the program. And as always, we'll endeavor to answer as many of them as possible, as quickly as possible, as time permits.